Spencer Balvin to Nebraska. I'm Carson Sestouli. This is Fangraph Study. I'm my guest on this edition of Fangraph Study. I'm making his weekly Monday appearance on a Wednesday. This is a weekly Monday appearance, except he's made it, in this case, on a Wednesday. He's the managing editor of Fangraphs.com, Dave Cameron. Dave Cameron is the guest on this program. As he does every week, Dave Cameron endeavors to analyze all baseball of particular note. This week, the postseason, of course, after the latest of CC Sabathia's excellent playoff starts. David Ortiz declared that CC Sabathia was the ace of his generation, perhaps under the influence of enthusiasm, was Ortiz. However, his declaration does uh, lead to either some interesting questions or some half-interesting questions. Like, for example, which other pitchers are members of CC Sabathia's generation? How does one define a pitcher's generation, a player's generation in general? Of course, these people do not all debut in the same season. I suppose uh, some further consideration of how Sabathia compares to uh, some of his peers. Roy Halladay, maybe. Roy Oswalt, perhaps a third pitcher named Roy. Uh, also, uh, what the postseason means for Fangraphs.com is the contract crowdsourcing effort. Every year, of course, we attempt to exploit the wisdom of the crowds to get a better understanding of the off-season's free agent market. We've begun that. Dave Cameron and I trade some hostile words regarding who ought and ought not to be selected. It's possible that part of the conversation in particular overwhelmed Cameron. Uh, of course, this episode ends quite abruptly when Dave Cameron appears to experience an existential crisis. What am I doing with my life? I want to do something else. Dark times for Cameron. Those. Uh, we'll get to Dave Cameron in a moment. In the meantime, however, it is both my obligation and my privilege to announce that Fangraphs memberships exist for a reasonable sum. Readers of Fangraphs.com can support the excellent work it appears at that site, and for a slightly less reasonable sum, those same readers can acquire an ad-free membership, which allows one to browse Fangraphs.com without the burden of banner ads, both facilitating faster loading speeds and also liberating one from the distortive effects of advertising. Fangraphs membership and ad-free membership, available, obviously, only at Fangraphs.com. That advertisement now complete. Let us move on to the conversation. What is it? It is Fangraphs Audio. Who's the future managing editor of Fangraphs, Dave Cameron? When does it begin? Right now. She'd have to get a forty-hour-a-week job, and then all of the money she made extra would be would would go towards the babysitter or preschool, or right? Right. So she works 24 hours a week and you work like 12 hours a week? <laughs> there he goes. Classic Dave Cameron. There he Did goes. You know, uh, someone out there last week didn't like something I wrote and talked about how uh, every week on the podcast you can tell I'm a terrible person because of how I condescend to you. Yeah. And, yeah. I, I enjoyed that commentary. But you... I, like, I wonder if this guy knows we're actually friends. Yeah, well, news to me, Dave Cameron. Yeah, well. Hey. You know, you you do serve some purpose uh, sometimes, Dave Cameron. <laughs> Occasionally, okay. I try to do something. Yeah. Uh, today, you brought it to my attention, something uh, which I had not brought to my attention earlier, and it, it was uh, Lance McCullers' curveball rate uh, in the. Oh, you didn't know? I didn't know it was that high. No. He is a curveball machine. I guess he is, and I suppose what it's 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 probably an effective pitch for him. It is a very effective pitch. His curveball is probably one of the best curves in baseball, and he is of the opinion of, like, why would I throw a worse pitch when I have this really good one? Now, here's a uh, here's something which I have not looked at earlier. 
But sorry, um, I would imagine. Uh, I would imagine just looking at it. Well, I suppose it depends. I'm trying to imagine his curve in my head, but it, I assume it has some sort of glove side break. Does, does yes. any glove side break? Is yes. that a twelve six? It is. It is a power curveball. It it sometimes looks like a slider. Okay. <clears throat> um, what are his platoon splits like? Uh, good question. You'd think I would know that, considering I just wrote a post about yeah. him. Well, I'm curious because you, the idea you have here is, uh, is to say that he will uh, be given an abbreviated number of innings to deal with the Yankees. Yeah, I mean, well, just in, like McCullers is not a guy who pitches deep in games anyway. Uh, Lance McCullers has a significant reverse platoon split: Signi- 280 Woba allowed against lefties, 325 against righties. Now, is that what you expected to find? Yeah, I mean, I think going into this, uh, I didn't know the exact numbers, but I was pretty sure I remembered that McCullers had a reverse platoon split because his curveball is so good, um, and his some of the pitches, the, the, especially the ones that he dumped in his last appearance, uh, you know, get whacked if he doesn't locate them very well. Okay. So, um, but how do, so if I'm not, but but typically, if, yeah, you said sometimes it resembles a slider. This his curveball. Now, the slider typically. It does not. I mean, it has nothing like a reverse platoon split, right? It is typically much... So, yeah, I guess I was referring more to velocity. So his curveball is 86 miles okay. an hour, roughly, uh, which is, you know, that's a hard mm-hmm. curveball. This is not one of those, like, 75-mile-an-hour spinners. Right, okay. So it's a different sort of thing. But you were, so you were expecting a reverse platoon? Yeah, so curveballs are generally uh, platoon-neutral, um and I believe in McCullers' case, he hasn't thrown that many two-seamers throughout his career. The two-seamer is really the pitch that has the biggest platoon split besides the slider. Um, and so as a, a right-hander who doesn't throw a lot of two-seamers uh, and throws a lot of curves, I'm, I'm not at all surprised that he has a reverse Okay, split. yeah. That was the um, – I mean, what you're describing, sinker and, and um, slider, That wasn't that Charlie Morton up until a couple years ago? Basically, yeah. Charlie Morton was one of the most sinker-slider heavy guys. They've kind of turned him into a sinker-curveball right. guy. But. Yeah, um, but it seems to work out. Uh, uh, I was uh, <clears throat> about to conduct some manner of baseball reference search. does not appear as it's going to happen, however, because I do not recall it. Oh, yes, it was to recall. We were talking about um, unusual pitches, and you mentioned his uh, his the rather high velocity on his curveball. I remember seeing last night, uh, while actually watching some of the um, the Yankees Astro game, Tommy Canley. Tommy Canley, Canley, Canley throw yeah. a ninety-one mile per hour changeup, which is also yeah, he throws hard. a rare sort of pitch. Can we point out, like, uh, I didn't write about this today because I'm kind of tired of yelling at managers, but how ridiculous it was that uh, Joe Girardi thought he needed to go to Tommy Canley and then warm up at Dellen Batances to protect an eight-one lead in the ninth inning. Like, come on. I like I get that you'd like fine, whatever. You don't want to lose a lead. You were up seven to two against the Indians and you lost that game. You know, the worst thing that can happen to a manager in the postseason is that they blow a big lead because then they get crushed for it as Jordy did in that game. But you're up eight to one in the ninth inning. You do not need to be using your high leverage relievers. I was like, thinking JB Garcia is alive. Throw him for an inning. He's not gonna go up seven. I was to thinking runs. about that uh, and I've I was thinking, uh, um, you know, I attempt to uh, what give the benefit of the doubt. Remember, you play that game sometimes, giving the benefit of the doubt to those. Yeah, I think that what must be happening. Well, no, I don't know. What, here's a theory as to what could be happening: is that there is something very because the bases were loaded for a while, right? 
um, or for a couple batters, and there were there was runners, there yeah, was runners yeah. on. Canley, Canley walked in a run yeah. at one point. There's something very there's something very unkempt about having runners on base. Something very threatening about it. It's not tidy. And managers, and Girardi seems to be in particular one of these. I think they they like tidiness. They like. Yeah, I think like if you're going into a you know three games in three days because now they're at home for the whole stretch. There's no off days in the next near future. Um, and you have an 8-1 lead heading into the ninth inning, uh, you put Dylan Matanzas on the mound knowing that there's a decent chance he's just going to lose his release point again. Like, his last appearance ended with him throwing balls mm-hmm. to the backstop. Matanzas um, at this point is basically Ricky Vaughn. Um, so you know, like, there's a decent chance you're going to have to go get Dylan Matanzas. He's probably, like, you're hoping he can give you a clean inning, but you certainly can't count on it. So you want to have someone ready to come bail Dylan Matanzas out when he starts walking the world or, you know, beating guys or throwing balls to the backstop. But it didn't need to be Tommy Canley, and you didn't need to have a Rolls Chapman warming up. By, up by it's now. interesting that you mentioned the fact that uh, Jaime Garcia could have could have appeared, uh, because as uh, as one might have uh, as one might have thought anecdotally, and as Paul Swiden, with the help of Jonah Pemstein, uh, bore out uh, empirically today in the pages of Fangraphs.com. More starters have appeared in these postseason, at least on, I suppose on a rate basis at this point, because the postseason is not complete. Uh, then, then ever is in the is like the uh, database, which would allow us to do that, which goes back to 2013. But one imagines it extends further back than that. Yeah, I mean the starters as reliever thing has been a pretty clear trend this year. Although Garcia, I think probably just technically qualifies as a reliever because they haven't started him at all, right? So like, I don't think David Price's innings were counted necessarily as a Starter because he didn't start any games in the postseason. No, he uh, it was uh, it was pitchers who uh, recorded uh, for whom at least fifty percent of their regular season appearances were starts. Okay, yeah, got it. Yeah, yeah. As you can tell, I read that piece very closely. Well, it's a rare instance where I am able to lord uh, <laughs> over you. So I will take, well, you edited that piece. I did not. Yeah, I will take advantage of that. Um, yeah, I don't know. Hey. Uh, so that's because I want to ask you about uh, CC Sabathia, um, but I don't know I don't know what to ask you about CC Sabathia. It seems to, it seems as though it deserves some uh, at least some examination because CC Sabathia, who's what age thirty five thirty six season at the moment thirty six has now over his last two starts uh, pitched allowed what two runs in ten of the third innings I think. Yeah, he's been very good. And uh, he was he was quite good last night. He managed to pitch six innings against an Astros team that what was isn't it one of the best offenses except for just like a handful of Yankees teams from when all of our grandfathers were born. <laughs> yeah, he ran a one twenty two WRC plus as a team this year, which is I think one of the top ten of all time or something. Uh, and it's a mostly a right handed lineup. So, you know, you can understand why the Astros struggled against Masahiro Tanaka and Luis Severino and Chad Green and, you know, kind of the, the good right-handed arms, but you would think Sabathia against the Astros lineup was a disaster for the Yankees, and instead he threw six shutout innings. Right. And he threw, uh, I don't know, what is it, mostly the same thing? Is it the cutter, the cutter coming in inside corner and then uh, messing around with people on the outside corner with a... Yeah, he's got that big slow slider he throws on the outside corner. Like, his slider is, what, 80 miles an hour, so it's slower than McCullough's curveball. Mm-hmm. Um, so he kind of throws that big looping slider on the outside corner, and uh, in his last start, uh, he got some generous calls on that outside corner, but last night I didn't think strikes him looked abnormal at all, and uh, Sabathia was just painting corners with that slider, and, you know, it's a, it's a tough pitch to hit. Now listen, he, last night, 
uh, I don't know, he allowed fewer runs than he had his previous start. But in his previous start, uh, he had uh, he recorded nine strikeouts. Um, that was that was the that was the clinching game. That was partially because of the giant strikes. Okay, all right. Yeah. Um, but this, uh, but yesterday, I don't know. Was he was he more or less dominant yesterday or last night? I would say probably more, considering the opponent. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, when you're matching up against an Astros team with a bunch of really good right-handed hitters, and you do what he did, um, I would say that was one of his probably his most impressive postseason start. Uh, I'll say last night I was trying to figure out something to write about Sabathian. Obviously, I didn't because mm-hmm. uh, I wrote about Lance McCullers today. But I think uh, at this point, this might be the postseason run that Sabathia needed in order to put a pretty credible Hall of Fame case together. Like, uh, I mean, I guess I'll just ask you if you were to think like right now, CC Sabathia Hall of Fame, yes or no? Uh, I, I, you know, how some people have a small hall, some people yeah. have a large hall, right? I'm I'm willing to have a largest hall. <laughs> so you're gonna put in everybody. <laughs> put in everybody. I mean, it will become meaningless. That's true. Right. Uh, okay. So instead of your particular mm-hmm. hall of fame, do you think Cesar Sabathia, if you retired today, would get voted? Yeah. Okay. So I would have to, um, you know, just to study it. But uh, I'm yeah, I'm willing to do that. He was really good in his late twenties. He had a stretch yeah. there. Basically, when he went join kind of like. He left the Indians his last year in Cleveland, or last couple of years in Cleveland, the one year in Milwaukee, and then his early New York runs. He was mm-hmm. not quite the best pitcher in baseball, but really close. I, I, I remember following that, that Brewers team. It was 2008, I guess, uh, quite closely when he came. And he was – there was very little it, – it, it was akin to and, – and it's possible that I have this wrong in terms of the actual numbers, but it was a, it was a bit of that feeling of when Randy Johnson joined the Astros – uh, right. For that stretch, and perhaps there are other yeah. examples of this of the Justin Merlin her joining the Astros this year. Okay, yeah, it's, a, it's perfect. Yeah. Um, right, where it just it seemed as though uh, he was um, invulnerable, you know, at a certain point. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I think if you look at Sabathia, like you know, he doesn't the the, the bar for starting pitchers is still ridiculous. We've talked about this before. Where, like Mike Mussina is not in the Hall of Fame despite being one of the twenty best starting pitchers of all time. That's insane. So. You could say that basically no no active starting pitcher except for maybe Clayton Kershaw is likely to get in the hall just because the standards are so high. But like one of the big knocks against Sabathia, I think in terms of his like postseason resume, his er, again in terms of Hall of Fame resume, his postseason numbers have not been very good. Uh, I think his career ERA headed into this year in the postseason was over five, um, so he didn't kind of have that you know Madsen Bumgarner, Andy Pettit, um, you know Mariano Rivera like. You know, look at all this value I had in October kind of um, mm-hmm. add-on. And his regular season numbers are not, you know, like, uh, you know, he's not one of the 20 best pitchers of all time like Messina is. So it's kind of like a good pitcher who had like a, you know, six or seven year run as a, you know, an elite guy and then, you know, 10 other years as an average-ish pitcher. Like, that's not a clear Hall of Fame case for a lot of guys. But I think if you add in, you know, a lot of postseason value, it can put you over the top. And I think Sabathian needed... You know, kind of a signature postseason uh, argument to win some voters over. And if he has a few more starts, like, you know, if the Yankees advance, obviously, and say he pitches, you know, uh, Game 7 of the ALCS, and then he pitches, you know, once in the World Series, and he pitches well again, I don't think it's uh, unreasonable to think that this could be the year that puts him over the top. Uh, what, what's, uh, yeah, I know that um, in the post-game broadcast featuring the array of ball players there, David Ortiz perhaps overcome uh, with um, this sort of moment 
declared that C.C. Sabathia was the ace of his generation. <clears throat> well, <laughs> I, I think, <laughs> I, I, which is fine. It's fine for me to, for him to say that. And um, it's, uh, he, I, as I say, he was probably caught up in the moment a little bit. But I'm curious. Uh, that's if is one able to make that statement about anyone, or if one is going to do it, I suppose it requires a, maybe a more careful definition of generation, because not you know we do not have a convenient situation where all pitchers begin in the same year. Like all pitchers who are going to be aces begin in the same year and retire the same year. To make the comparison, right. very easy. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't necessarily know who. I don't know. I mean, who who would you say is part of his class at least? Who do you think of as like the uh, the sort of CC Bathia's class of pitchers? I mean, he came up kind of the same time Roy Halladay did. Uh, mm-hmm. Not exactly the same time, but they were pretty close together. Um, so I would think of like Halladay as kind of a Sabathia um, peer. Um, maybe Roy Oswalt. They kind of came up at around the same time. Oswalt obviously did not last as long. Yeah, I guess Sabathia. that's part of it, right? Let's see, Roy um, Halladay. Yeah, right. I mean, Sabathia's got durability. Like, so I'm just looking at the since 2001, mm-hmm. which is Sabathia's rookie year, leaderboards of who's pitched the most. There's CC Sabathia at 3,300 innings, Mark Burley at 3,200, and then John Lackey's at 2,800. Like, it's not like besides Burley, no one's really close to Sabathia in innings pitched. Yeah. Since I, I, I don't know. Uh, on the one hand, uh, <laughs> you know, ultimately, it ultimately matters how one performs. In those innings, but I suppose that there's some that if if teams have allowed you to throw that many innings and you've been healthy enough to do them, that there's some uh, substantive value in that, right? Yeah, absolutely. If you just want to have like a fun, you know, stat about CC Sabathia, that's actually <laughs> a stat about Clayton Kershaw. Uh, by the runs allowed version of WAR, Sabathia is at 67, so, and Kershaw is at 63 since. You know, in, in their careers, but basically since 2001. Uh, so Sabathia ranks number two. Kershaw ranks number three among uh, pitchers in RA9 war since the 2001 season. Clayton Kershaw debuted in 2008. And, uh, Sabathia, I think, it was uh, 2001. Yeah. So, so like, you talk about, like, Burley and Hudson and Oswalt and all these guys who, you know, got a seven-year head start on Wait, Clayton so you Kershaw. Said, so, so is Kershaw the reigning leader, then, by that measure? Okay, so Sabathia and then Kershaw? Sabathia is the active pitcher leader in war. So I suppose if if by generation you meant pitchers, active pitchers, all active pitchers, then you can make that case. Yeah, I mean, Sabathia has been great. Kershaw is the ace of this generation. Like, Kershaw is a top ten pitcher ever. There he is, pitching. So. I love CC Sabathia, but uh, yeah, Clayton I don't Kershaw know. It's a it's a, it's a matter of semantics, and uh, obviously it's not necessarily in terms of who's actually producing more value. It would appear to be Clayton Kershaw, but uh, a statement like "ace of the generation" is a difficult one to to pin down. But if again, if one is moved in the moment, uh, then no one really gets hurt by saying that someone's ace of the generation. I don't think there would be any any situations really um, in which someone would be hurt by making such a declaration. Do you? Think? Well, it depends on how hard you were hitting them as you yelled it. I guess it would be. But I don't think the statement itself is particularly dangerous. Yeah. It depends on how loud you are. What's the statement What's the statement that you've made? It wouldn't have been televised in this particular case. What's the statement that you feel like you've made? Perhaps you were, get, you were getting caught up in the situation 
Dave Cameron, by having just witnessed a great feat, etc., when maybe you allowed yourself to be moved a, a bit unduly by by the moment to make a Are statement. you trying to suggest that I have emotions? <laughs> I, think I think that you have baseball emotions. Yeah. Uh, yeah, because you'll always... You could, every time, I feel like whenever there's a, a perfect game or something, you will just do... You will publish a few words, and then you will... Uh, embed the game graph, right? And then you'd be like... Are you, are you saying I have a template? I, I, I'm saying I've sensed... sensed <laughs> that there are only so many ways to do this. My point is that it's a bare-bones post in which you essentially announce that, that you like baseball, is basically the... Yeah, I usually write the word baseball with an exclamation mark. Yeah, that's it, right. Yeah. yeah. But do you yeah. feel like uh, maybe in the process of doing this or, or reacting to another situation that you have overstated... Uh, that you have maybe overstated um, the truth of something, uh, be in a fit of pique. You know, you were so moved by the the event. Right. I mean, I'm sure, like, uh, I'm sure I do that regularly. The one that comes to mind, where I think, like, uh, I I imagine, like, it didn't take me too long to come back to reason, is I think I was having a conversation with Paul Swyden like five years ago or something, and Brendan Anderson had just thrown like a you know complete game shutout where he got like. 22 ground balls and it took him like 85 pitches mm-hmm. or something and uh, I think I made some comment to Paul I think we were like maybe a spring training trip or something and I was like I think Brett Anderson might be the best left handed pitcher in baseball and he looked at me and he was like what? <laughs> like it was, uh, it, was, it was one of those things that like you know, they started like hey Kershaw exists and you know there's Sabathia there's like all these other good pitchers I'm like okay fine Brett Anderson's not the best he's just really good like I was in love with Brett Anderson early career Brett Anderson was one of my favorite pitchers um, and I remember Paul being aghast at this, the idea that Brett Anderson would be called the best left-handed pitcher. I remember baseball. at some point you, I think you had a particular, um, a particular interest in ground ball pitchers. Isn't that right? I yeah. did, yeah. I mean, I still do to some extent. Like you know, I think um, my argument has generally been that the the best kind of pitcher is a guy who gets both strikeouts and grounders. Yeah. Obviously, avoiding walks is helpful, but if you have to choose between equal strikeout rates. I mean, which is not normally the choice. You're usually trading between strikeouts and ground balls. But if you have a guy who strikes out 25% of all those batters, Mm -hmm. and he can either be a ground ball guy or a fly ball guy, you want the ground ball guy. Right, yeah. But a guy who's a standard deviation above, or say two standard deviations, right, above uh, the mean in ground ball rate versus a guy who's two standard deviations above the mean in strikeout rate, it would be the latter guy, the guy with a higher strikeout rate who's probably preventing runs, right? Right, yeah. Right. Strikeouts are more important than ground balls, mm-hmm. for sure. And I, but if you can have it, if you can neutralize strikeouts and say we're not adjusting for the fact that ground ball guys usually get fewer strikeouts, if we ignore that point, mm-hmm. then ground balls are better. Right. So I assume that you you like Brandon Webb, for example. I did like Brandon yeah, Webb. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I liked Felix Fernandez. I liked a lot of these pitchers who were really, really good. Did you Did you Did you like the best version of Derek Lowe? I did like the best version of Derek Lowe. Okay. I was a long-time Derek Lowe advocate. Right. I believe he actually was part of your childhood uh, team for a moment, wasn't he? He was in the minor leagues, and he was traded with Jason Veritek for, do you remember? Yes, I do. The answer is Heathcliff Slocum. Well, that's right. Anytime mm. you can trade Derek Lowe and Jason Veritek for Heathcliff Slocum, you have to do it. The do it. the urban myth that no one really knows if this is true, but it's the story that goes around about the trade is Woody Woodward was the Mariners GM at the time, and the story goes that when he called to try and make a trade for Slocum to bolster their bullpen, and I think that was 98, that 
the Red Sox general manager, whose name escapes me at the moment. Um, might have been actually, might be Dan one, Duquette. Yeah. Maybe might have been Dan might, Duquette. Might be yeah, that Duquette. makes sense. Yeah. Uh, had requested either Veritech or Slocum, and Veritech uh, or low or low, yeah, or Veritech or low, right? And uh, Woodward turned to and instead of or. So when he sent over the paperwork for the trade, it included both of them, mm-hmm. and uh, the Red Sox couldn't believe their luck because they were getting both the guys they wanted instead of one out of two. Good for the uh, yeah. If you can if you can do that, it's pretty good. Yeah, we don't actually know if that's true, but we it's a story that's been going around for twenty years. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Uh, also, uh, elsewhere in these playoffs, we uh, we have not had the opportunity to discuss the clinching game of the uh, Nationals. Um, the crazy game. The crazy game. Yeah. Yeah. It was. Uh, it really seemed like the Nationals had a vested interest in 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 letting the Cubs win, or that uh, some uh, some some invisible hand did as well. Or do to what degree, Dave Cameron? Um, does does an oddity like that one particular inning appeal to you? When what was it? Uh, intentional walk, catcher's interference. Uh, this is not the exact order, but uh, yeah. strikeout with uh, allowing a runner to advance to first, and then maybe there's a regular base on balls in there too, or is it hit by pitch? Hit by pitch, yeah. Yeah. Does does a curiosity appeal to you, or is it a mere trivia? Uh, yeah, I don't. I'm like, I'm not one of those who's like, oh, cool, this has never happened in baseball before, and I got to see it. That's so exciting. Mm-hmm. Like to me, like those innings are frustrating. Like, um, that's not necessarily how you want to have a two really good teams who had really good seasons have their season decided. Like, you know, these plays are luck, right? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, and you know, met two, you know. Matt Wieters screwed up. Like, Matt Wieters had a really bad inning. He stuck his glove out, which allowed the catcher's interference. He missed the strike. Like, Matt Wieters played badly. So it's not like the, like the, the Nationals can just be like, oh man, that went against us. Like, Wieters had, you know, Wieters had problems that inning. But on the same, like, that's not necessarily, um, I mean, it's kind of like the Jose Lobaton pickoff. To me, that's not really baseball. Like, mm-hmm. t- when I watch baseball, I want to see, like, this guy throw a great pitch that some other guy either hits or, you know, doesn't hit, or I want to see a great, you know, like the Astros uh, relay play the other day. Like, that was a great baseball play. It was Josh Reddick to Carlos Correa nailing uh, what Brett Gardner at third base. Like, that was a fantastic baseball play. I'm, like, those are those are the kinds of plays that make me happy. Is like, these guys executed perfectly. You know, Gardner probably shouldn't have been sent from the third base coach just because it was, you know, he didn't necessarily need to make the third out of third base. But, you know, uh, in terms of just a very well-executed baseball play, like, those are the kinds of things that I enjoy watching. But it's just kind of like, ah, uh, Weider's glove was a quarter of an inch too far forward, and then he, you know, there's a slider that hit someone in the foot. It's like the, you know, it's baseball, but it's not the best version of baseball. Okay. Now let's talk about the best version of baseball. Uh, tr- for today, Travis Hotchick wrote about the Astros, and uh, he made the claim that more teams should be like the Astros, and I'm sure that many teams feel the same way. Um but one one way he noted that um, that maybe the Astros one model they might offer uh, that would aid uh, that would aid the aesthetics of the game um, and not necessarily not necessarily just the overall talent is uh, greater contact. Obviously, this is not um, you know this is not a, it's not a mystery. Uh, this is not a, a, a new it's not a new development as of this week. Um, there's more swinging and missing in baseball than there has been in the past. And there are fewer balls in play. 
Do we have any sense of what the Astros did besides acquire Josh Reddick and um, Brian McCann, maybe, um, to to cut down their strike? I think the way they dropped six percentage points or something like that since last season. Yeah, I mean, I think, like, you know, the, the the narrative to me about, like, the Astros and their contact rate is a little bit, like, missing the point. Of, like, you know, the Royals have been, like, the high-contact team in baseball for a long time, and the Twins are always a high-contact team, and, like, these are not good offenses. Like, the, the Royals made it work a few years ago with a bunch of slap hitters because they were also insanely great defenders, mm-hmm. and, you know, that wasn't a really good offensive team. Uh, even, you know, they made the World Series two years in a row with, like, basically league average offenses. Um, the Astros offense was really good, not because they didn't strike out, but because they didn't strike out and they hit for power, which is really unusual. That's kind of the, the trick. It's like, we've seen a lot of high contact offenses throughout the years. Mm-hmm. We haven't seen one that, like, um, hits for this kind of power wall, avoiding strikeouts. And, you know, not to take anything away from the Astros, but I have to wonder, like, how much of this is the ball, right? Like, um, you know, Marwin Gonzalez had <laughs> what, 25 home runs this year or something. Like, uh, I think Marwin Gonzalez, you know, maybe the poster boy for a recipient of like what the juice ball can do for you. Um, and you know, they got a, a lineup full of guys who are okay hitters, but they're not amazing hitters like Josh Reddick and Ulyaski Guriel and, um, you know, uh, Jake Marisnik, like, they got good offensive contributions from some kind of weak hitters this year, or, you know, average hitters. Not They're not black holes, but they're not great hitters. Um, and I wonder I wonder how well this plan would have worked in a year where the ball didn't fly so far. Oh, right. So you think that there was some benefit. Well, of course, uh, well, I suppose the Royals did not necessarily have uh, the same personnel this year as they did uh, in their uh, in the years when they avoided the strikeout the best. Although, because they had that one contingent, I had to assume that there were some similar players. Yeah, but they have, this is the broken version of Alex Gordon, not the good one from a couple of years yeah, ago. And I guess what, wouldn't they only get, they got a pretty limited season from Mustakas, maybe, who makes quite a bit of contact. Isn't that right? No, Mustakas played most of the year. But he was, there's something up with him, though. What was the thing that was up with him? He almost hit 40 homers this year. He had like a career year. Well, who am I thinking of then? I don't yeah. know. Mustaka said uh, the 598 plate appearances in 148 games and hit 38. Yeah, that's a complete season. Last year, though, he was not around as much. Last year he wasn't around, yeah. You were one year too late for Um, Mike Mustaka's memory. It's hard for one to keep all the years straight, I suppose. Um, But is is it it always just a question of trading off one thing for another, especially if you're dealing with the same personnel? Is it it always going to be either we're going to hit for more power or we're going to hit or we're going to make more contact? Is there anything in between? Uh, I mean, you know, there are some, like Daniel Murphy, doubled his power out of nowhere and didn't strike out anymore. Um, so, you know, it's not always the case. Like, some guys just do get better. But I think, like, you know, Jose Altuve, well, like, a couple of years ago, Jose Altuve ran, like, a 7% strikeout rate or something. Like, you know, he was the the throwback to the 1980s style of baseball. And, you know, last year and this year, Altuve added significant power, and now he strikes out, what, 15% of the time or something? It's not like... Not quite know. that much, but it's still, it's a bit of a departure from earlier in his Yeah, but it's up well, quite a bit from where it was a few years ago. So he's mm-hmm. traded contact for power, and it's made him better overall. And so um, I think in most cases, you're you're sacrificing one for the other. Like, you can either cover the plate and just kind of slap the ball around, or you can swing for the fences and swing and miss more often. Um, most hitters have to make that choice. Okay. Uh, before we go, Dave Cameron, I want to ask you about this. Uh, we are going to begin... Probably tomorrow, I suppose. It would be Wednesday. We'd begin our free agent uh, contract crowdsourcing project. 
All right. Uh, Who do you think we're going to forget this year? I almost forgot to add Carlos Santana to the list. And I think I did. In fact, the one I sent over to you, uh, I omitted Michael Pineda. Which seemed, uh, but I told you about Michael Pineda. Yes, you so. did. And yeah. um, I suppose Pineda, I mean, he's a bit of an interesting guy. Because he's becoming a free agent, um, but he's also... Well, he's hurt, yeah. Yeah, will he, I mean, will he pitch at all in 2018? He had TJ surgery in June. Yeah. So he has a chance to come back for, like, the second half of next year. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, he's an interesting case. And, like, he'll be this year's Wilson Ramos, kind of, where you're signing him for maybe something down the stretch and then hoping to get... You know, like you're paying for the rest of his rehab, so then you hope to get like a second year option or something. So uh, it'd be interesting to see if Pineda can get a team to give him a two year deal or yeah, I was wondering if it was going to be a two year deal regardless. Yeah, I mean, I think he'll probably want a one year deal so he can just rehab, try and come back, throw fifty good innings at the end of the year, and then hit the market again. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if he'll be able to get that. A team might say, look, if we're going to pay for your rehab and pay for the risk and you know give you a contract for next year. We want something in return in 2019, and so he might only get two-year offers. Mm-hmm. Is there any scenario do you think where a team would pay him to come back as a reliever for a short period of time at the end of the year? Sort of. Yeah, like... possibly. I mean, I think yeah, that's an interesting idea of like if you're one of these teams that thinks like, you know, we're going to have to trade for some high leverage arm in August, but Pineda could potentially be that arm. Maybe you say, look, we'll give you a low base salary, and and then depending on what you you know how many games you can pitch out of the you could raise your salary significantly if you pitch 20 or 30 games down the stretch uh, in relief, and then you could market yourself as a starter again. Or you, maybe you say, look, my shoulder's been screwed up, and now I've had Tommy John surgery. Maybe I just want to move to relief full-time because I'm 6'7", and you know I would probably be a pretty scary dude coming out of the bullpen. What, uh, is there any difference you know between the recovery times for relievers versus starters? Is there uh, I don't think that matters that much. Mm-hmm. I think it's really more about ligament um, strength. Um, but I do know that the recovery time for some Tommy John surgeries is getting shorter. Like I think Zach Duke came back in nine months this year. Yeah, eight months, something like that. Like Zach Duke got back really fast. Although Zach Duke is um, one of the players whom we've omitted from the the seventy five players being crowdsourced. Yeah, I mean besides the fact that he came back from Tommy John surgery, he's not that interesting anymore. <laughs> so, he had... If you really wanted to guess Zach Duke's contract and you're Sad that he won't be part of the series. You can blame me because I struck his name from the list. Right, but perhaps he'll be better next year, another year removed from Tommy John. Maybe, but he's going to be a 35-year-old reliever with arm problems. You say that like it's a bad thing. I mean, for getting a lot of money, it is. <laughs> uh, uh, I just wanted to ask you briefly because I, th- I have a sense, looking back on it, and when I was – so I put together a list of – I think it was like 90-something names, right? And I said, please remove some of these names. Yeah. Um, I'm, inter- I'm trying to imagine what the what criteria I was using. I suppose it was vaguely, you know, I was vaguely trying to, to pick the players who would earn the most money in, in, um, in the free the free market or the open market. But uh, but I don't, uh, but, and I don't necessarily know where to stop. Where does one stop? Where does the interest in a, in a free agent uh, where, when is it lost? But a lot of the guys that I struck were basically where it was like people were going to be guessing whether he was going to get three million or four million on a one year deal. I mean, like when you're basically like, it's very clear that this guy's just going to get a one year contract, and the question is like, you know, what's the guarantee going to be? Because a lot of times on these one year deals with a low base, it just turns out to be incentive laden anyway. Or like, like I think you included, um, who's like Andre Ethier, right? Like Andre Ethier will get a contract for next year. But it's going to be like one year and two million, and then it's like you know a hundred thousand for every 
100 plate appearances or something like that. I also included um, Fernando Abad. So, yeah, I don't know why you did that. that you know, he was weird. actually pretty decent this year. Yeah, but, I mean, you know, that that level of reliever is not getting paid. What's the what is the criteria for a left-handed reliever to get to get a job? Well, they need the Rockies to be willing to spend money. Uh, I don't know if the Rockies are going to throw money at left-handed relievers again after the Mike Dunn experiment. Yeah, right. uh, well, that was what was another one you cut? Um, uh, well, I think you included Colby Rasmus, who quit baseball this year. So I said we shouldn't. Well, guess no, what I didn't. Make next I guess I, the, the last I knew, he was on the restricted list. I mean, he quit. He walked away. He like left. He's done. I mean, he could choose to come back, but he quit. So. Oh, I thought it was a more of a temporary situation. But he, well, it was temporary. He like through the end of the season, and I, it sounded like my guess is that Colby Rasmus is done with baseball. Hmm. Or maybe in five years he'll come back as a pitcher. Who knows? That's a so his his career's just over, huh? I. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, you've heard the stories about, like, Rasmus's dad. Yes. Uh, you know, like, I think Colby Rasmus is one of these examples of, like, potentially a guy who didn't love playing baseball and just did it because it was his job, and then now he just has enough money and he doesn't need to do it anymore, and he's like, what am I doing with my life? I want to go do something else. Oh, well, it's, uh, it's fine with me. Yeah, I guess yeah. He, uh, he's only 30 years old this year. Um, uh, yeah, Franklin Gutierrez, you're sticking him on the list? That was weird. That was That was the easiest strike. I'm trying to think why I did this. I don't always, I don't always know the logic behind my. Why? Why did I do it? No, nope. I don't know. Danny Espinoza. I don't know why you stuck him. Well, on Danny there. Espinoza. I feel like that Danny Espinoza was. He got cut twice this was year. Was somewhat Maybe sought after times? last year. He was worth two wins as you know as recent. He wasn't sought after the Nationals gave him away. He was. He was worth two wins as recently as last year. Yeah, and then he got given away. Yeah, but if someone has been worth. He was worth four wins between 2015 and 2016. So he had one bad season you know, in the meantime. Do you know what his market value was last year? Zero. Probably zero. Because, like, the Nationals acquired uh, uh, Adam Eaton, which pushed Trey Turner back to shortstop, and they said, ah, we don't need Danny Espinosa anymore. He's making $4 million. We don't want him. And they came to the Angels for nothing. Yeah, well, I guess. Yeah. So you cut Danny Espinosa. And then he got cut by the Angels, and then he got picked up by someone else and got cut, cut by them, too. And, all right. Well, then you cut him. Then you cut him. Danny Espinosa. I don't care what your contract's going to be this winter. <laughs> yeah, I don't understand why I included Franklin Gutierrez. Gutierrez always to me is 2009 Franklin Gutierrez. He was awesome for yeah. a year. Yeah. Great defender. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he was like Byron Buxton basically. Yeah. For one year, and then he got hurt. Yeah. Lot. I always think he's uh, he's about to rebound. <laughs> and then he had a. At this point, I would give up hope. Then you have a colossal return at one point with the Mariners. Return for like a quarter of a season. Yeah, he ran like a one forty WRC plus. Yeah, he was. He was. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know, Cameron. There's all these playoff games happening. You watch them, and then they're done. I don't. You want to? You can second guess managers. I suppose. With a, what other? What other utility do we have at this point? What other utility do we have? Yeah, the utility to the public. When you watch these games, you're just like, yeah, that's what happened. Isn't that what you say? David Robertson throws a lot of curveballs. I learned that from Jeff Sullivan yesterday. <laughs> How many of these baseball games have you watched? Mm. That, that's my full answer. Okay. <laughs> I would say that the uh, utility of writing these posts on Fangraphs is to inform you of what's going on. <laughs> that's the sole reason. Dave Cameron, uh, I don't know what we've done, but we've done it for for at least a half hour. 
but it was what we did. Yeah, yeah. yeah it was great. It was great. Um, so thank you. Uh, so I should say that you've uh, fulfilled your obligation to Fangraphs Audio. You should say that. Yeah, I will say that. Well, I have. And I will say thank you, Dave Cameron. You're welcome. All right. That has been Dave Cameron, Managing Editor of Fangraphs.com. I'm Carson Stooley. This has been Fangraphs Audio. 